We'll open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. We'll be finishing the first chapter of Mark today. Mark chapter 1. This last little paragraph is one that has some amazing features. And at first glance, these few verses might fool you to thinking that it's just a simple story on the way to chapter 2. But you would be quite mistaken without looking more intently. It's the story of a leper coming to the Lord. Let me read those, those verses for you, beginning in verse 40 to the end of the chapter. And a leper came to Jesus. He was beseeching or begging him, falling on his knees before him and saying, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing be cleansed. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he sternly warmed him, warned him and immediately sent him away. And he said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in unpopulated areas. And they were coming to him from everywhere. If you notice the title for today's sermon, you would obviously attach it to the first few words of verse 40 and think, you know, Rick has very little creativity. This is the best you could do. <laughs> That's exactly what the verse says. And a leper came to Jesus. And, and yet I think the title is quite intentional, just as those words are intentional. This is a big deal. This is a major happening. This is a significant feature of the Lord's ministry. This is important enough that Mark actually closes the, the introductory launch of Jesus' ministry with this little story. Remember, Jesus has been traveling around the northern shore of Lake Galilee, doing unprecedented things, casting out demons, healing the sick, performing many miracles. And as you read Mark's account of the Lord, just previous to this, you find him casting out demons and taking authority in his teaching and healing all sorts of unspecified illnesses and bringing Peter's mother-in-law to health from a severe fever. And Mark wants to raise the question in the reader's mind and in your mind, imagine reading this for the first time and you see and hear Jesus doing and saying and, and accomplishing all of these things and, and your, your question would become, what can't he do? Every paragraph, every story begins to build more and more on the amazing power and 
unstoppable authority of this Nazarene who has now taken up residence on the north shore of Lake Galilee. Are there any limits to his authority? Are there any limits to his power? Mark wants you to ask that question because he answers it with these words. And a leper. A leper came to Jesus. Stop the presses. What happens next? Now, before we look at the details of the story, we have to do a little homework. Now, I uh, grew up in Tennessee, which is very hilly. I loved when it snowed, we would always go sledding. And sledding in Tennessee was much like, I'm sure, sledding. I want to say in Kansas, uh, maybe over um, off the 435, there is one hill. It's, um, but if you, if you know anything about hills, they are elevations. I uh, just want to make sure you know that, living in the Midwest. If you want to sled, there are no ski lifts unless you go to a ritzy ski uh, uh, sledding place, which I've heard of, but that's for the, the weak. <laughs> if you want to sled down a hill, you've got to take your sled and walk all the way up to the top of the hill. And the payoff is wonderful, but it's shorter than the payment, isn't it? We have to do some payment this morning before we can get to this story. If you don't understand what it means with the simple words, and a leper came to Jesus, this story will not have the impact that Mark intends for it to have. Now, if you were alive in the first century, if you were reading this, you would have immediately paused and asked, what happens next? A leper comes to Jesus? There are words in the course of history that have invoked fear and dread and panic and despair. In the Middle Ages, the word was the plague. For us, the word is cancer. But far worse than either of those words, and you'll understand what I mean in a moment, for those alive in the Old Testament and in the New Testament times, the most dreaded word was Leprosy. Leprosy was the most feared disease in the ancient world. We find out here, and a leper comes to Jesus. The assumption is that he has the kind of leprosy that is the worst kind that makes you an outcast that forces you out of societal interaction into a leper colony or your own cave away from people because you're contagious. Now, the word leprosy comes from a Latin word that means scaly. It means scaled skin or scaly skin. It's a, it's a manifested disease that is noticed first on the skin, usually on the arms or hands or forehead or face nose and even the lips. But the challenge in understanding leprosy and when you're studying the Bible is that the word has a broad range of medical um, diagnoses. Uh, it can mean everything from, from just uh, from simple acne all the way up to Hansen's disease. Modern medicine now diagnoses some of these symptoms belonging to the diseases disease of leprosy as, as simple diseases that you can cure with an anointment or an antibiotic. 
Now, there are several types of leprosy. Historically, rather historical physicians, there are, there are physicians who do things like pull out DNA from mummies and study uh, what, what kind of diseases were extant. They've found uh, large amounts of leprosy, by the way, in mummified remains, um, some pharaohs in Egypt. Well, these historical physicians tell us that biblical leprosy was most likely the severest type of leprosy. Now, it could have been psoriasis. It could have been um, some kind of a temporary disease. And if it was, you could, according to Leviticus 13, find a healing, find cure. It would run its course. And then you could go back and present an offering to the priest and you'd be back good to go. That's not what's in play here. Leprosy, by the way, as you know, if you've read much Old Testament, you, you know it plays a significant role in the Old Testament. In fact, the law, the, old, the Mosaic law, was precise and detailed in its instructions regarding recognizing leprosy and quarantining a leprous person. Interestingly, the Bible never implies that leprosy cannot be cured by non-miraculous means. There was actually a provision if you were cured of leprosy to come and make a peace offering to the priest and you could re-enter society, but that was a rare occurrence. Most often it was looked at as divine judgment and only God could heal for leprosy. The Old Testament contains no references to any treatment or any remedy for the leprous. You remember in 2 Kings chapter 5, uh, Jehoram says, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? That implies that the king thought only God can heal lepers. Specifically, leprosy is a chronic infectious disease characterized by sores, scabs, whitening, shining spots beneath the skin. Just take some time and Google images of leprosy. You'll be horrified. In all but third world countries, by the way, modern medicine has all but eliminated the disease after learning the proper methods of treatment. I was talking to Dr. Opie before service today, and he says leprosy is a, is a I think he called it a tweener. It acts like bacteria and virus, but we can, we can deal with and cure leprosy with simple medical means today. They could not. Now, it's important for our study for this morning to understand that the Mosaic Law was very specific about proper methods of purification where leprosy had been discovered. The priest, the central figure and uh, religious authority in the Old Testament would enact these regulations to care for the patients and take many sanitary precautions. And if the symptoms of leprosy presented themselves in a person, it was the priest who would examine the person and then decide if indeed it was leprosy, life as they knew it, knew it was about to change. And some would say end. There was no known cure. And the priority in God's sweet economy was to protect the community 
from the infectious person. So the law, and there's a whole chapter on leprosy in Leviticus chapter 13. We don't have time to study that, but you can read it later. The law required that a leper, someone who had contracted leprosy, be isolated from the society, isolated from the community, put out of the village or the city or the camp and live a lonely, isolated life only in contact with other lepers. That's where we see leper colonies. Remember in Luke, Jesus heals 10 lepers and only one returns to to say thank you. They were living together. Now here's what's just graphic to me. Lepers were required to announce their problem. Leviticus 13 says that when a leper approached another person, they were to yell out, unclean, unclean, stay away from me. I'm infectious. I carry death. They were commanded to command others to avoid them. A leper had to announce his or her social ostracizing. It's pretty specific in Leviticus 13, verses 47 to 59. They had to wear torn clothes, tattered clothes, ragged clothes. They had to uh, 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 have an announcement with what they wore. They, They had to have unkept hair. They had to look miserable. And that wasn't hard to do. Sometimes leprosy would show up on clothes, in fabrics, on leather products. It would have greenish and reddish spots. These were to be burned, according to Leviticus 13, so the camp could remain pure. You know, a fascinating story, I wish we had the time to turn here, is King Uzziah who was a leper from middle age until death in 2 Chronicles 26, 19 to 21. And the leprosy that was afflicted upon him was for his unwarranted assumption of the priesthood in saying, I'm a priest, I stand for God. And God judged him by giving him leprosy for the rest of his life. This added to the horror and the lore of leprosy. It was the judgment of God. That's what they saw in their scriptures. One doctor writes this, a historical physician. Leprosy generally begins with pain in certain areas of the body. Numbness then follows. Soon the skin in such spots loses its original color. It gets to be thick, glossy, scaly. The thickening spots become dirty sores and ulcers due to poor blood supply. The skin, especially around the eyes and ears, begins to bunch with deep furrows between the swelling so that the face of the afflicted individual begins to resemble that of a lion. The disease-producing agent frequently also attacks the larynx. The leper's voice requires, acquires a grating quality. His throat becomes hoarse. He can now not only see, feel, and smell the leper, you can also hear his rasping voice. Leading leprosy, Paul, Dr. Paul Brand, you've probably read some of his books. World-renowned expert on leprosy, he writes, this is likely Hansen's disease. Hansen's disease is a cruel, 
is cruel, but not all the way that you might think that diseases are. It primarily acts, primarily acts as an anesthetic. It numbs the pain cells of the hands and feet and nose and eyes and ears. Not so bad really as one might, not really so bad as one might think. Most diseases are painful and you think that's the problem. The problem with leprosy is there's no pain at all. What makes a painless disease so horrible, he writes? Well, Hansen's disease uh, numbing quality is precisely the reason for its fabled destruction and decay. For thousands of years, people thought Hansen's disease caused, caused the ulcers on the hands and feet and face, which eventually led to the rotting of the flesh and the loss of limbs. But mainly through Dr. Brand's research, we find out that just the opposite happened. He goes on to describe the fact that you lose sensation and feeling in your extremities and in your face. Wiping your nose from a cold can be so desensitized that you begin to rub your nose raw. Opening doors without any pain sensors, you can rip the flesh on the doorknob because you can't sense how much pressure is being applied. It was a horrible disease and affected all the senses, not only of the afflicted, but of the person who would view one. So why the long lesson on leprosy? Well, because when this man approaches Jesus, he is highly infectious, socially outcast, and religiously unclean. Again, a leprosy diagnosis meant medical and social disaster. And for our Lord, this is important. Leviticus 13 says, they were to avoid someone without leprosy and someone without leprosy was to avoid someone with it. Any contact with a leper would defile the person who touched them and they would too become unclean ceremonially and as a health risk. So, a leper comes to Jesus. What will this amazing miracle worker from Nazareth do with this infectious man coming within touching distance of the Savior? Now, the key strategy of all four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is to use the details of these pericopes, these stories, these paragraphs, to transport our minds back to these scenes in the life of Jesus and use our God-given imaginations to see what it would have been like, to feel what it would have been like, and to see Jesus rightly and worship him as a result. Can I just say, what a God we see on display this morning. Now, typical of Mark, scene has no geographical specificity. The point is not where it happened, but that it happened and what resulted. So we're gonna dive into this little narrative, just like we've climbed the hill, give you a lot more on leprosy than you probably thought you were gonna get this morning so that we can kind of move through it quickly. Let's walk through this together and we can discover with each other four unexpected details in an unprecedented miracle. 
for unexpected details in an unprecedented miracle. The first focus that Mark gives us is to look at the man. And we see, number one, a desperate faith, verse 40. A desperate faith. And a leper came to Jesus. And again, that would have stopped everyone to say, what happens next? Does he run? Does he push this man back into his outcast situation? What's gonna happen? And the man is calling, beseeching. He's begging, falling on his knees in humble adoration and respect and worship. And he says, if you are willing, Luke says he calls him Lord. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Again, we don't know where this happened. We can know for certain, though, it's outside the normal habitation of people because a leper was not allowed inside the city or the village. And it's very fair to say that Jesus knew where the leper colony was and intentionally walked nearby. And then the unthinkable happens. The leper gets close enough to touch and talk to Jesus. In defiance of the Levitical parameters, he talks to the Lord, and get this, in defiance of the Levitical parameters, the Lord talks to him. He's desperate. Mark tells us he's begging, that's the word. He's pleading, he's begging, he's on his knees. He's in a posture of begging reference. Lord, please, please, I beg you. Then listen to his unquestioning assumption of Jesus' ability to cure his condition. If you are willing, if you want to, I'm not questioning if you can, it's only a matter of your prerogative. If you want to, you can make me clean the reputation of Jesus has made its way all the way out into the countryside where the leper colony was, where this leper lived, specifically where people were cut off from society. They had still heard of this miracle worker from Nazareth. Can you imagine the hope that that might fill your heart with? You can't go to Jesus. You're an outcast. He's been preaching in Capernaum. You're stuck. And a man who might be able to heal you is in the city. And then, in this man's mind, as a stroke of luck, here comes Jesus. How did he know who Jesus was? The text doesn't tell us. How did he know? He knew his reputation. He knew what he meant, what he, looked, what he probably had looked like. He, he had some descriptions. But something about the the intrinsic authority of Jesus drew this man, this, this man to him. I just imagine this man hearing there's a man from Nazareth who can heal all sorts of sicknesses and diseases. You would have likely done the same thing as this man did had it been you. If you heard he was there, you would have violated the Levitical prohibitions and parameters as well at the prospect of being healed. This man actually demonstrates an enormous amount of faith. He doesn't say, if you can, he says, if you want to, if you're willing. 
Now, a little footnote, notice that the leper asks Jesus to make him clean. Every time Jesus deals with a leper in the gospels, he does not heal the leper, he cleanses the leper. That's significant. Did he heal him? Of course. But the greater significance is put on being ceremonially unclean because of this condition. You can cleanse me. Leprosy needed to be cleansed more than it needed to be healed. So Mark uses this man to show that Jesus' authority extends over what was considered to be an incurable, disastrous disease. That brings us to verse 41, and we find an extraordinary compassion. An extraordinary compassion. Look at the first phrase, verse 41, moved with compassion. A little more homework. I have to confess, I spent the better part of the week on this one word in study. Because if you look up in the dictionary what this word that's translated move with compassion means, all the dictionaries, all of the, the reputable dictionaries I looked at, Greek lexicons, all said this word means, ready, drum roll, anger. Moved with anger. So why do the, the common translators move, uh, say that it's compassion or the ESV says pity when the word actually means moved with anger? How can we reconcile these notions? Well, I think that both meetings are in play here and you'll see why in just a moment. Jesus' compassion is expressed even though he is rightly angered by the man's spiritual rebellion. Oh, he sounds like a, a man who would be a worthy follower of the Lord but just wait till you see his heart unfold. His response to Jesus' cleansing will actually hinder the Lord's ministry in that area. Yet, amazingly, Jesus is willing, able, and happy to be burdened by this man's problem even though he will prove to be opposed to Jesus' purpose. So he's moved with passion, I think is the best way to say it. Compassion and anger at the same time. And if you're a parent, I don't even need to explain to you how those two can coexist. Move with compassion. Jesus, this is just, un you've got to remember leprosy reached, stretched out his hand and did the unthinkable. He touched him. Just stop right there. If you were a first century reader and you read Mark for the first time and this was your first introduction to Jesus, you would have heard fingernails on a chalkboard. He touched the leper? You'd have asked two questions. Did he get leprosy? And secondly, how can the Lord who never sins just violate the Levitical law to not be rendered unclean by touching a leper? I love Jesus. He says, I am willing. Be cleansed. How can Jesus appear to violate the Mosaic prohibition of touching or coming near a leper? How did Jesus honor the law here? Well, good question. I'm glad you, glad you asked that. Did Jesus sin? Of course not. 
Of course not. Then how do we reconcile this? Well, you look at Jesus' interaction with the law. It is such a fascinating study to see who, how the lawmaker himself, the Lord Jesus, interacts with the law given. For example, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 20 to 24, Jesus showed that obeying the letter of the law is a matter of physical action, but obeying the spirit of the law requires more than just outward action. You could actually obey outwardly and still be sinning inwardly. Remember the illustrations he uses? If you covet, that's the same as stealing. If you lust, that's the same as adultery in the mind of God. He deals with the spirit of the law, not simply the letter. Another thing you see is Jesus always, he consistently, we'll see this in Mark, he, he picks a fight with Pharisees by doing amazing things on the Sabbath when you're supposed to rest. Now, how do we know that Jesus could do that? Because we find out that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the giver of the Sabbath. And the point is, Jesus could not be unclean because he was God in the flesh. And he could not be stained because he was the one who was the healer. The Mosaic law about leprosy was to quarantine the lepers so disease would not spread. But Jesus was beyond the infectious effects of the disease and was himself the great physician. Don't miss the power of verse 42. Here's our word again. Immediately. Instantly. No process. No incubation period. No course of antibiotics. Immediately, the leprosy left him. Remember what we said, he cleansed him. He was healed, but what does the text say? He was cleansed. Now, if, if you read this and you begin running down the nature of God in the Old Testament, you, you'll, you'll run across Exodus 4, verses 6 and 7. Listen to this. The Lord furthermore said, put your hand, this is to Moses, put your hand in your bosom. So he put his hand into his bosom. Remember what happens? Moses takes it out and behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Remember that story? And then God said, put your hand back into your bosom again. So he puts his hand in and he took it out and behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. You know what that tells us? God can heal leprosy. Jesus can heal leprosy. Jesus is God. When Jesus healed, it was immediate. There's only one instance when his healing wasn't immediate, and that was on purpose with a man who, he, who was blind, and he did that in some stages for a specific purpose, but he was in complete control. No progressive cleansing or healing here. Can we just pause for a minute? Just, just stop. Just stop. Do you see how compassionate and kind and understanding and gracious Jesus is to an ungrateful, as we'll see, disobedient, self-centered man who wanted, don't miss this, the blessings of Jesus but resisted obeying him. And still Jesus grants him grace and favor. 
I can identify with that. Number three, we come to a stern warning. A third unexpected detail in this unprecedented, meaning touching a leper, a miracle. A stern warning. So let's see this straight. The man comes up, asks Jesus for cleansing. Jesus moved with passion, says, I'm willing. He instantly cleanses him. And then he says, verse 43, Jesus sternly, the Greek is very strong, intently, almost like putting his finger on his chest, sternly warned him. And immediately, there's our word again, sent him away. What was the warning? Verse 44. He said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Jesus now, after the miracle, after the cleansing, after the healing, sternly warns the man in the strictest of terms to follow his next instructions. Now you would think that someone who had been given such gracious mercy, such kindness of the Lord, might be inclined to follow his directions and you're gonna find, you're gonna find just the opposite. By the way, the instruction he gave to the leper was to be obedient to the law, go to the priest, make appropriate offering for the cleansing, in other words, obey the scriptures. Leviticus 14, 2, there shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. Now he shall be brought to the priest and the priest shall go outside the camp. Thus the priest shall look and if the infection of leprosy has been healed in the leper, then the priest shall give orders to take two live clean birds, cedar wood and a scarlet string and a hyssop for the one who has been cleansed. Very specific mosaic regulations to offer sacrifice if you've been healed of leprosy. Jesus says, obey the scriptures. Go do what I'm saying. Present yourself to the priest, which by the way, would have been a three or four day journey to go down to Jerusalem, or he could have done it the next time he was there for Passover. The cured and cleansed leper, according to Moses, must correctly observe these Old Testament purification rituals. So what's the man do? How is he going to respond? That brings us, number four, to an unwanted response. The fourth unexpected detail in this unprecedented miracle, an undesired or an unwanted response. Jesus says, go to the priest, take your sacrifice, just as Moses said, offer these two birds, and then you're free to reenter society. Ah, verse 45. The Greek and the English are both as obvious as the nose on your face. Jesus says, do this. And then there's the word, but. But the man went out, not down to Jerusalem, and began to proclaim it freely 
And this spread the news all around. So he didn't go where he was supposed to go. He didn't do what he was supposed to do. And he said what he was not supposed to say. That's a big description of what? Disobedience. Blatant, unmitigated disobedience. But remember, Jesus' motive for not spreading this news was critical. He wanted to preserve the true gospel message of his death and resurrection for sin that was yet in the future. The message wasn't just healing. Look at the consequence. It was so bad, the rumors got out so bad that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city but had to stay out in the unpopulated areas. And they still found him. They were coming to him from everywhere. His message was not healing and miracles. Who wouldn't want that? Who would not want a savior who could feed you and heal you and perform miracles and raise the dead. I would vote for that man, wouldn't you? But that wasn't the complete message. And so he's going to tell people he healed and demons he cast out, be quiet until the message is done. This man is a microcosm of the reason Jesus asked for secrecy about his wonders. The man was happy with the blessing, but unwilling to commit his obedience to the authority and lordship of Jesus. So everyone finds out. Jesus can't even walk back into a city without being mobbed. He has to stay out in the outskirts of the city, but people still found him, heard where he was, and they came to him. This is interesting to me. In his excellent commentary on Mark, James Edwards says this. Think about this. Mark begins the story with Jesus on the inside and the leper on the outside. Leper's outcast, right? At the end of the story, Jesus is outside in lonely places. Jesus and the leper have traded places. Early in his ministry, Jesus is already an outsider in human society. Mark casts him in the role of the servant of the Lord who bears the iniquities of others and whose bearing of them causes him to be, Isaiah 53, 12, numbered with the transgressors, end quote. That's so true. Before this happened, Jesus was popular on the inside able to do what he wanted and go where he wanted. The leper was the outcast. Now Jesus is the outcast and the leper reenters society. Can I ask you a couple questions that were staring me in the face as I plowed through this passage? How does Jesus' attitude affect your view of the afflicted? Now I'm not saying you should walk into the, uh, someone who's quarantined for an infectious disease and sacrifice your health for that. You're, you're not God. You can't heal. But his attitude was significant. He was willing. 
how do you approach the blind and the deaf and the sick and the diseased and the distressed and the afflicted? Jesus came to help and to save. Do you ever find yourself trying to avoid and ignore people with problems? Jesus made sure he walked where this leper would be. For us, it's not about healing. It is about caring. I don't think God is looking at us saying, can you fix people's problems as much as he is saying, will you be like my son and care about them? That's a worldview changer. We're happy to be comfortable and left alone and healthy. Let me ask a more penetrating question. This rips through straight to my heart. How often do you find yourself more interested in what Jesus can do for you than you are what he's commanded you to do? What about Jesus draws more interest? How he exercises authority in every dimension of your life as regulated by the word of God or what he might answer for you in prayer or do for you in prosperity or solving of your problems. Look, we should cast all our cares upon him because he, all our anxieties upon him because he cares for us. Yes, we should do that. But never, never so one-dimensionally that we want what Jesus can give us but aren't willing to give Jesus what he deserves. Our obedience and our worship our attention, our focus, and our praise. We so easily trust and desire his authority over our problems and afflictions while resisting his authority over our values and our decisions. God, forgive us. Do you see that in your own life? Can I just confess to you, I see it in mine. It's way easier to ask God to solve my problems than to ask him for the grace to fight my sin What a savior. In the early 1900s, to raise funds for a pedestal on which the Statue of Liberty now stands, it was an auction for different things. One of them was a competition for a now famous sonnet, a poem that would pay homage to the Statue of Liberty poem didn't receive much recognition. It was actually quite forgotten until after the dedication, years or so, years or so after the dedication. And one of the friends of Emma Lazarus, who wrote this poem entitled The New Colossus, was found, put on a plaque, placed inside for all to see. It's also known as the Statue of Liberty poem. You probably know a line or two from it. I want to read you the whole sonnet. It's not long. Again, Emma Lazarus wrote, Not like the brazen giant of Greek fame, with conquering limbs astride, limbs astride from, hand, from land to land, here our sea-washed sunset gates shall stand. A mighty woman with a torch whose flame is imprisoned lightning and her name 
mother of exiles. From her beacon hand glows worldwide welcome. Her mild eyes command the air-bridged harbor that the twin cities frame. Keep, ancient lands, your storied pomp, cries she. With silent lips, she says, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shore Send these, the homeless, the tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Sweet words about a country. And as wonderful as that poem is, it is a shadow of the invitation we see from our Savior in this passage. He welcomes the wretched, the tempest-torn, the afflicted, the sick, the incurable, the diseased. He welcomes those who feel socially outcast, the unpopular, the undesirables. America may be a safe harbor for the disenfranchised from, franchised from other countries, but Jesus and his good news are a safe harbor for the eternal peace and well-being of our everlasting souls. I'm amazed at our Savior, but more shocked at what I see of my own heart in this man's response. Give me the goodies, but don't tell me what to do. When you look in the mirror of your heart, what do you see? When you stare into the word, do you see? Is this just, wow, I can't believe that man did this? Or do you find yourself with this man? And do you see your need for a savior who's like this? He stands with open arms. Come to me, all you who are heavy laden. And you know what? I, he says, will give you rest. He cleansed the leper, which included healing. He gives us the greater cleansing by forgiving us from our sins, which are more defiling than an infection on our skin. And he offers that to those who have faith. This man had an amazing faith. How's yours? How do you see and understand Jesus of Nazareth. Can we pray together? With your heads bowed, let me just invite you, if you don't know Jesus, and what I mean by that is if, if he doesn't command the authority and lordship over your life, if you haven't believed that his death can be a substitute for your rightful death and judgment before God and he substituted for that, if you don't believe that, if you will believe rather that he, he raised Jesus from, from being crucified on a Roman cross to show his power over life and death, if you will believe that you can be saved today from yourself, from Satan, from sin and from yourself. I just wanna beg you. We have indescribable and incurable 
degrees and dimensions of our sin. And his grace and compassion trumps it all.